You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love, where talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Um, today we're having a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It's helping clients recover from the trauma of sex addiction treatments. This week's episode looks at how therapists help clients recover from the trauma of sex addiction treatments. My guest is Silva Nevis, a COSRT accredited psychosexual and relationship psychotherapist and clinical supervisor. He works in the private clinic in central London, UK. He works with individuals and couples presenting with many psychosexual and relational problems. One of Silva's expertise is the treatment of compulsive sexual behaviors and sexual trauma. Silva was one of the featured therapists in the BBC series Sex on the Couch. He believes there are treatments available for compulsive sexual behaviors that are more effective than traditional sex addiction therapies. Welcome, Silva. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for coming. I'm so happy to have you here. And as you know, and many of my listeners would know if they followed me, that you know, for 25 years I was a sex addiction therapist and I was also self-identified as one. And the recovery from getting out of that was so hard and slow and long. And so I'm so glad you're going to flush flesh this out for people. <laughs> yes, thank you. I was the same too. I was first uh, trained as a sex addiction therapist too, and I worked with the sex addiction model for a long time. So, um, you know, I understand how difficult it is to come out of this model and to find other ways to help our clients. I did not know that about you. Yes. I did the, uh, I did the CSAT training. Oh, wow. Same here. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I, that's even better then. You really know the ins and outs of this. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I have to be honest. In some ways, I feel like clients who used to tell me that uh, how hard it was for them to come out of conversion therapy, you know, because, mm. you know, helping them uh, realize that being gay was okay. I feel like sex addiction treatment is like conversion therapy for sex, that you learn that the kind of sex you like is okay. It's not pathology. Would you would you see it that way or differently? Yes, exactly. I'm glad you say because this is exactly how I, how I feel. Um, I think it's, it's the accepted conversion therapy at the moment is the sex, sex addiction, you know, because they actually, uh, there's a lot of pathology and, and encouragement to stop normal, healthy, uh, you know, functional sexual behaviors because it doesn't sit with what the therapists think. Yes. And what the maybe partner thinks or the religion thinks or society yes, thinks, yes. right? Exactly. exactly. I like what you said. And one of the things in the, uh, that we have now in the ICD-11 of the criteria for the disorder of compulsive sexual behavior is that it has to not be um, sort of a problem because of external sources. So it has to be the client themselves thinking there is a problem rather than thinking they have a problem because their partners think they have a problem or because their you know, religious ministers think they have a problem or because they read a book about it and then they think they have a problem. Right. That's very well that said. That, so that most of our clients that come in really are coming in because of other people's problem with their uh, sexual issues or sexual behaviors or fantasies, and then they mm. internalize them, right? And they think, well, then I have this problem too, rather than sorting all that out. Yes, exactly. 
And one of the one of the things about uh, one of the strong philosophy of the twelve step programs and also in the sex addiction treatment is to accept what they call um, accept powerlessness. And I think this is the one thing that really, or one of the things that keep people feel like they have a disease because if you are powerless, it feels like it's something that happens to you and then you're going to be chronically uh, pro, um, you know, diseased. Whereas in fact, I think the, the opposite is, is, is uh, true that if you, if you think that there's some sexual behaviors that you're questioning or, or that you're not happy with, the first thing to do is to own it and to then think about what to do about it. Absolutely. And then empower yourself on how to manage yes. it rather than what Doug Brown Harvey always says is giving so, yourself an erotichectomy, right? Our clients exactly. come, right? You have that clients come in and like, can you yes. just erase this part of my brain? No, I can't. That's impossible. Mm. Exactly. Yes. You, and, and, and Doug Brown Harvey and uh, Michael Vigoretto uh, writing their, their book, Treating Out of Control Sexual Behavior, I think is a fantastic addition to literature because it really is, um, you know, challenging that sex addiction model and, and really offering a different way to treat it that is more sexology based, you know, and, and one of the things when I was training as a sex addiction therapist that I was really surprised about is that there is so much uh, time and hours taught about addictions and hardly anything taught about human sexuality. Yes. And yet it's about sexual behaviors. So that was always kind of weird to me, you know, from the start, you know. Right. I remember that's actually how I got out of sex addiction treatment was because there was nothing in my day, nothing. I mean, and like you said, there's still hardly anything on sexuality and sexual health that I had to go outside the organization to a sex therapy organization to learn. And when I learned mm. about how the nuances and complications of sex, the then I saw how harmful and abusive I really believe the sex addiction model really is. Mm. Yes. Exactly. So some people are going to listen. Going back to the uh, Go ahead. going back to the conversion therapy uh, uh, conversation, you know, there the, are a lot of um, now in the UK and I'm sure in parts of the USA too. Uh, we all agree that it should be banned because it's harmful and it's actually traumatizing. Um, and but you know, it's important that we don't keep it just for the LGBTQ uh, community. I'm very glad that the LGBTQ community now is protected from those kind of therapies. But um, we have to now look further and see how other people, um, you know, do conversion therapy with, you know, the, the larger population. And I think that uh, in the UK anyway, a lot of well-meaning therapies that have been trained in sex addiction will do accidental conversion therapy, unfortunately. Yes. Oh my God, I love the way you're saying that. Well, first of all, I like that you're saying sex addiction is the uh, current uh, acceptable way of doing conversion therapy and that sex well-intended sex addiction therapists are doing accidental conversion therapy. Can you explain what conversion therapy is to listeners who are like, what the hell is that? <laughs> hmm. Yes, conversion therapy really uh, broadly is um, to think that there is uh, one sexuality pattern that is uh, norm normal and the rest is abnormal. And, and it's an attempt to change what people perceive as abnormal uh, sexuality into something of normal sexuality. So in the conversion, conversion therapy is really about uh, the belief that being uh, having a same-sex uh, sexual attraction or romantic attraction is wrong and abnormal, and the therapy is an attempt to uh, convert people into heterosexuality. And does it work? 
it does not work, uh, never worked. We have now studies that say it doesn't work, but more than not working, it actually traumatizes people. Yes, absolutely traumatizes people. And there, there's no such thing as going from gay to straight any more than there is from going to straight to gay. And there's and what would happen in sex addiction is uh, people would be uh, – pressure to move away from their erotic orientation, the things that get them off, because they would say that was the problem, rather than managing it as the problem. Exactly. And when when people go to um, either a 12-step program or a sex addiction treatment, within the first few sessions, um, it will be uh, the client will already be encouraged to stop all sexual behaviors doing yes. this kind of like 90 day sobriety thing <laughs> yeah. that actually doesn't have, there's no clinical evidence at all that, that 90 days should be recommended or not. But people just do that, uh, anyway. And, and, and that in, in the first place, on top of being sex negative is actually quite harmful to start with. Yes. Because there is no curiosity about the client's unique sexual arousal template or what it means, what the sex, sexual behaviors mean. Um, people are not even interested in investigating that. You know, they go straight into, oh, that must stop and you've got, you, you've got to do sobriety. That's your goal. Um, and that really, for me, is really counterproductive because, you know, if, you, if as a therapist, if a client comes with an issue, the first thing that the therapist should be thinking about is to be curious about it and to find to find what what the meaning and the functions of that behavior ha- have for the client. Yes. You know what kills me? And somehow we, somehow we do it with all of the other clients, but we don't do it with sexual behavior. That's well said. That's so true. We do it with all the other clients because we do, but when it comes to sex, the therapist bias interferes because they haven't done their own sexual health work and uh, le- and professional learning around it, right? Yes, exactly. It kills Absolutely. me. So if, if, if the therapist, if the therapist thinks that it's wrong to go to a sex club every Saturday night, uh, when they meet a client and says, Hey, um, you know, I'm going to sex clubs every Saturday night. I'm really questioning this. The therapist will automatically think, well, there's a problem here and we've got to fix that. Yes. And you know what bothers me the most is I went into treatment for sex addiction at 24 years old. I'm almost 57 years old and there's still, the, the model is the same. 90 days sobriety, mm. you know, um, here, you know, pathologizing the actual sexual behavior. It hasn't moved. It hasn't grown. It hasn't learned from any sexual health models at all. It just stays the same. I don't understand. Right. I know. And especially now that we have so much, so many studies and so, so much knowledge in, with the science of sexology, it's really uh, baffling to me that people are really staying stuck in the 80s with these things. So people tell people, how does it mess people up so that, like you say, and I do this too in the, my work, but I want you to talk about how do you help somebody recover from sex addiction therapy? Mm. Well, first is, uh, to, for me, I, I look at the uh, diagnostic, di- diagnostic criteria of the ICD-11 because I think that's a helpful one. I mean, some people, uh, you know, have uh, problems with it. It's not perfect, certainly, but at least now it gives us a guide. And with the ICD-11 and the World Health Organization, what is very clear is that they say scientifically that uh, sexual problems, compulsive sexual behaviors is not an addiction and the terms should not be Inter- interchangeable. So it's, it's compulsive sexual behavior is not a synonym of sex addiction. Sex addiction is a completely different um, framework than compulsive sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. So when, client, when clients come and say, oh, maybe I'm a sex addict, which is normal that they would say that because it would be 
you know, that's the kind of uh, popular language that they would have read in magazines and so on. Mm -hmm. I don't say to them, well, you're wrong, you know, you're not a sex addict. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as a clinician, I I have the duty to inform them or actually, you know, scientifically, it's sexual compulsivity um, is not an addiction and my treatment follows sexual compulsivity, not an addiction treatment, because I want to give clients the right to consent to my treatment or not, you know, to start with. And that's really how we have, how I set up my sessions to start with, to say, you know, this is what I do. Are you consenting to this treatment? Because if they want an addiction treatment, I'm not the right guy. Ah, that makes sense. And then what's the difference? So then if you're not doing addiction, what are you doing? So I do, um, first of all, a proper assessment. I look at their erotic template, and with that, I use uh, the helpful book, uh, The Erotic Mind by Jack Morin. Yeah. Can you so define, look at, define erotic template so people know what that means? So, so that's, that's basically all the things about you uh, that is unique to you that turns you on. So it's the things that can turn you on either based on behaviors that you've done in the past or do, you're currently doing, but also sexual fantasies that you have no interest in uh, acting onto behaviors. And so for some people, for example, they might say, um, when I was, uh, you know, 23 years old, I had a threesome that was really, really arousing, that was really erotic. And when I remember this memory, I have lots of uh, sexual feelings uh, coming back to me. Mm-hmm. So that would be part of the erotic template. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, say if now they're 35, it doesn't mean that they want to be keeping doing threesomes uh, when they're 35. But surely that can be a really helpful memory to have to connect with their uh, sexual self, mm-hmm. and that is not a pathology in any way. Good. And that would be part of their arousal template. And so then, yes, um, go ahead. Yeah. Carry on. Oh, so so then what do you do? So they come in, so you say, first thing you do, consenting to, we're going to look at this as a compulsive problem, not as an addiction problem, and then you look at their erotic template, and then what? And then we, uh, with the clients, and that can that can be quite a few sessions because it's just uh, in collaboration with the client. So with the client, we we talk about it, and through that process of in- investigating the erotic mind and the erotic template, they start to really understand and piece things together about, you know, uh, th- the reason why they do some things is because actually it's it's a big turn on and it's pleasurable. But it might not fit with the current relationship setup they have, or it might not fit with their uh, other values or religious beliefs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at least it, at least they start, they're starting to piece things together and they're starting to see that the sexual landscape is a lot more complex than just a behavior that's right or a behavior that's wrong. So you help them. So, you help them look yes. at the erotic tension, right? The tension between the values in p- other parts of their lives and the values that they, that they hold for their sexual selves. Exactly, because that is part of your sexual self. You yes. know, we can't we can't uh, act on all of our sexual impulses all the time because we are socialized and we have to we, we have to find the, the appropriate place, the appropriate time, the appropriate people. So we do it all the time, but we do it without really uh, conscious thoughts a lot of the time. Um, you know, we don't have the conscious thought of, oh, I'm in a museum right now, so I should not masturbate, although I want to. Right? We mm-hmm. just don't because we're in a museum. Um, but when you uh, when you think of people thinking that they have a compulsive sexual behavior, suddenly they lose that capacity of thinking rationally and consciously about it. But if they say, you know, I'm seeing a sex worker once a month because that's the only time where I can feel sexual pleasure without anxiety, then that's a fantastic piece of uh, uh, self-reflection. And often they don't do this kind of reflection outside of the therapy room. And they need somebody that can be really open 
to invite them in their own exploration of the erotic mind because it's very hard for people to do it on their own. And that would be my first, you know, it's an assessment, but also it's the first part of treatment is to, to own your erotic mind, to understand it, to know what it's made of, and then then you look at the tension between your erotic mind and your or your sexual self and you know the world out there and the things that you believe your values what you have asked of your relationship and so on and so on right so what you're doing is helping cuz i always say we don't need a sex addiction label the uh, what's cuz sex addiction would always say well it isn't a sex it's not about sex it's about all the drivers and the behaviors that are um causing the person to do this like you said this person would say well i do it because i can relax and i get whatever i get out of it well then let's just stay with that that's that's the reason he's doing it and he might be hmm. attention intent having tension around that because he's married because of his religion and that's the work yeah. right exactly Exactly. Okay. So, but what if somebody says, you know, I'm doing this and it's, and, and uh, I'm doing it for hours and hours and hours. It's interfering with work. It's interfering with my marriage. I, you know, sometimes I, I hurt myself because I'm masturbating too much. What do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's another part of the assessment. Sometimes uh, the, the, the other part of the assessment that side of the sexual self and understanding your sexual self is all the other areas of life that you need to also um, uh, get the clients to understand about themselves. And one of the big things about compulsive sexual behavior, the, the true sexual compulsivity often uh, stems from some childhood trauma. And so when, you know, as a child, you have to learn from parents or primary caregivers how you can celebrate uh, your successes and also soothe yourself through adversities. And if you have uh, parenting that doesn't teach you that, then the child is going to try to find their own ways of celebrating the successes or soothing the adversities. And, 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 and often, one of the first things that they find is uh, touching the genitals or masturbating because that feels nice. Mm. Um, and over time, if they haven't learned any other process of self-care, they would use uh, sexual feelings to uh, manage all of their other emotions. So that's why it's really common for people that say, you know, oh, I've, I've achieved this big piece of work, uh, you know, in my work, that's a great success. And the first thing I wanted to do was, you know, uh, go online and speak to a sex worker. Or they might say, oh, I felt really sad about, uh, you know, a, a friend passing away. And the first thing I wanted to do was to, you know, have sex. Or another common one, um, my wife just gave birth and the first thing I wanted to do was to visit a sex worker. It's because whether it's a happy emotion, an unhappy emotion, um, a, celebrate, a celebratory uh, event or a, a sad event, it's through sex because that's all they know. So um, another piece of the work is to teach clients how to self-soothe, how to celebrate their successes in different ways. Um, and that is really unlimited because the more tools you have in your toolbox on how you can manage all sorts of different emotions, uh, the better you are in life generally, whether you have a problem with sexual problems or not. What I love about what you're saying is one size treatment doesn't fit all. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody's different. And so the treatment will look different for everybody. Some people, it will be just a psychosexual treatment, you know, uh, like the, you know, the, the example previously when it's somebody that visits sex workers because they feel too anxious having sex with people that they love, but they can feel they can have sex, uh, with, uh, anxiety with somebody they pay. 
So that could be an anxiety psychosexual treatment, mostly. For other people, it would be a trauma treatment, mostly. For other people, it would be all sorts of different things. So, um, so it's never just one thing. It's never just, you know, step one, step two, step three for everybody. It's just being human with another human being and being there for them and, and, and guiding them through understanding their own process. How, what have you had? I was kind of shocked. You, so you're over the, um, the pond, right? You're over in the UK. And I thought, I, I remember learning there was some bigger names that would be in the field that would say, uh, we're here and we're, we're sex therapists. And then we learn about addiction. So we don't do the same kind of thing. And then I'd read their work and hear about their work. And they are doing exactly the same thing as mm. we were doing here, even though they're trained in sex therapy. So how do you, do you see that? And how do you deal with that with your colleagues? Yeah. Yes, I feel sad about that. Very. Um, yeah. In, in America, I mean, I don't know. My, my perception of America, I, I'm very fond of the USA, by the way, but, you know, there is um, a Puritan history. Yeah. And so, and so it's really almost understandable that there will be something like this hanging out in America. Although now, of course, the USA have moved on quite a bit since the Puritans. But, you know, sometimes things, you know, linger on like yes. the Victorian time in England li- lingers on. Um, but in the UK, surely, uh, yes, we have been, we've, ha- we've trained uh, as sex therapists for a long time. And so everybody in the UK says that they are sex positive. But actually, a lot of people say that just as a word to feel good, but they don't practice it. Mm-hmm. And so behind closed doors, when the clients come in, they just do what America has taught them because for a very long time, there was only American literature that was available for, uh, you know, compulsive sexual behaviors. So we took on the American puritanism uh, about that without questioning it because there wasn't anything else to compare it with. Yeah, that's a good point. There wasn't. No. And, but the, the sad thing is that a lot of people that say, okay, I want to specialize in compulsive sexual behavior. So I'm reading, you know, a book uh, on sex addiction from American clinicians. Well, they all say the same things because they all cite each other. So it's a bit of an equal yeah. chamber. <laughs> and then, and then it's like, okay, so everybody says the same thing. So it must be true. And then they start to do that. But whilst doing that, they actually forget their basic principles of psychosexual knowledge, which is the sadness in, in all of this, because you can really treat compulsive sexual behaviors um, with all of the sexology knowledge that you have and all the psychotherapeutic knowledge that you have because that's all you need. You don't need a, a, an extra specialist addiction thing because it's not an addiction. Right. I love it. So in the, we have a few minutes left. What's the, what one thing would you like to have listeners left with by you that you want them to hear? I think what's really important, uh, the, the thing that people really, really uh, don't talk about enough is uh, the harm that's sex addiction treatment, but also 12-step programs. So one thing that I'd like to say to everybody, please, please, please do not encourage people to go to 12-step meetings like uh, SLA or SAA because... Um, the you sex know, addiction meetings, it, you mean? Yes, yep. yes. Um, because um, I've seen too many clients who have come to me traumatized yes, by it me you know, too. just like just like conversion therapy and you know um, uh, people feeling depressed and suicidal yes. you know we're talking we're talking that that range um, a lot of sex addiction therapists they say oh um, when people stop their behavior they feel depressed because that's what was there in the first place and i disagree with it me too. i think that a lot of a lot of the time depression is induced 
by the treatment. I love. Oh my God, you're so well spoken. Depression is induced by the treatment. I 100% agree. And even if I didn't agree, you're still well spoken, and I still think it's right. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I really think this is really the, the message I want to, to to bring home. It's not. It's not just about. It's not just about agreeing or disagreeing about. A, a treatment model. It's about uh, the side effect of one specific treatment, which has one size fits all, step one, step two, step three for everybody, not being interested in their sexual behaviors and just telling people you must be sober from this. And that puts, that increases sexual shame. It harms people. People at the end of it all, at the end of treatment, they have never learned anything about their sexual self. They only learn how to stop or how to lie better. It's really well and that's said. Not, and that's not a good outcome for me. Thank you. So where can people find you, Silva? Um, well, I've got a, a website. That's my name, silvaneves.co.uk. Um, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Instagram, and you can also email me. You can find my email on, on my website, and I'm always, always happy to respond to emails and to help people uh, find the right therapist for them. Good, and you're very active on the internet and Facebook and everything. I see you on Twitter as yeah. well, so you're easy to find and easy to um, you know relate to, and hopefully people will find you and read your stuff and maybe learn from you too. That'd be great, and and it's and it's me, and it's you, and it's a few of our colleagues in in the UK and in America, and I think we should really, really uh, stick together, and together have a, a stronger and stronger voice, so that the public uh, can hear that it's not just sex addiction. There are other ways to and and other doors to knock, um, and not and so that people don't think you know when people go online, the first thing they see is sex addiction. I'm hoping in the next few years people are going to go online, and they're not going to see this as their first. At the first introduction to their problem. I agree. Thank you, Silva. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good to speak to you today. You too. All right. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J O E K O R T.com. See you next time. <laughs>